Hello, welcome back to the Public Health Report. I am your host, Melissa Palafox, and this week I am joined by Eunice Lin, and we're going to be talking about different public health topics in the media that we recently came across. Welcome, Eunice, to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be part of my first public health report. Yeah, so tell us what you found this week. So there has recently been a lot of reports from different women across the world about how getting their COVID-19 vaccine affected their menstrual cycle. Um, And there was actually a report that was just released by the National Institute of Health um, and the CDC that talked about a global study that was completed that confirmed a link between the COVID-19 vaccine and menstrual cycle length. Um, And so basically, after the initial doses of the vaccines were distributed in 2020, thousands of women began reporting changes in their menstrual cycles. And the changes could range from missing a cycle or two, heavier, lighter flow, or longer and shorter cycle length, as well as intermenstrual spotting. So like light bleeding in between your periods. Um, The study was led by Oregon Health and Science University clinician scientist. Her name is Allison Edelman. And they took data from a menstrual cycle tracking app called Natural Cycles. Um, And participants allowed the app to take de-identified data for the study. Uh, Researchers analyzed data on at least three consecutive cycles before vaccination and at least one cycle after vaccination. And almost 20,000 individuals participated. 32% of them were from the United Kingdom, 29% from Canada and the U.S., and 34% from Europe. And on average, the results they found were that vaccinated people experienced an increase of less than one day in each cycle in which they were vaccinated. So after their first dose, they experienced on average a 0.71 day increase. And then after the second dose, they experienced a 0.56 day increase compared to unvaccinated people, uh, which is not a lot. Uh, A change in cycle of less than eight days is actually considered within the normal range of variation, but researchers are aware that any changes in bodily function related to fertility could be alarming or make people more hesitant to be vaccinated. And I know that a lot Mm -hmm. of my friends who are trying to get pregnant or were pregnant were very cautious about getting the vaccine because they kept hearing about how it affects your periods. Um, But of the total participants, only 6.2% of the vaccinated individuals experienced a change in length greater than eight days. Uh, I was one of those people. I actually skipped, I think, two periods, like two cycles um, after my second dose of my vaccine. I know it's crazy. I was really, really surprised that that happened. But um, the authors just called for future studies to on other aspects of vaccination link changes to menstrual cycles um, and for studies to determine physical reasons why the vaccine affects your body this way. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what I've been reading about recently. And I reached out to a couple of my friends on social media and I just had an overwhelming number of responses from women who experienced all these weird menstrual cycle effects uh, from the vaccine. So it's definitely a real thing. Wow, that's so interesting. I I remember when I remember when you first told me about this topic, I didn't realize because I actually did have a change in my cycle too, but I never put it together with the mm-hmm. vaccine because I was always irregular. Yeah. But I remember like after a while, 
this was before pandemic, my cycle started to be regular again. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. I'm like back to normal. And then all of a sudden it just started being regular irregular again. And I didn't realize it happened around the time I got vaccinated too, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting to learn about. And they also, the study also said that there is no difference between which vaccine you got and your change oh, in period so, so some people doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter which one um so it's because some people thought oh maybe it's because of the mrna or the different technology between like the pfizer or the johnson and johnson but it yeah. was pretty much the same all across the board so yeah more I research people needed. were saying a lot of things about the johnson and johnson one yeah so i i can see why maybe they're putting the blame on that one yeah <laughs> yes the least effective vaccine sadly um, and the one that gets the bad rap, but wow, how many responses did you get from like your friends? I think I heard from at least twenty different people. Dang. Uh, yeah, I just posted on my Instagram story, like let me know if you experienced menstrual cycle changes after your COVID vaccine, and just a ton of a ton of DMs came back. Um, the majority, I think, of the responses were that the cycles were really heavy or really light. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest. So it wasn't necessarily missing a period. It was just very like. Yeah. Yeah. People on... whose periods are very regular. Um, they experience really heavy flow um, or barely any flow at all, which I thought was interesting. Wow. That is interesting. Mine. I think um, mine wasn't necessarily the flow. At least I think it mm-hmm. wasn't. Mine was just, um, I was bleeding between sites, like between mm. Yeah, the spotting in between. Yeah, but it was more than spotting. I was oh, like, it was actual bleeding, bleeding. Yeah, so I was like, it's, oh, I don't know, I was confused. But yeah, mm. I, it's crazy because it did happen around that time that I got my second dose. Yeah, and it, it usually returns to normal after three to four cycles. So I'm interested to see how, if they do further studies, how they're going to look into that. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up today. That was a very of course. Of that course. was a very interesting choice of a topic. <laughs> and then some that I found, I found two articles. Um they weren't they didn't go as in depth as yours, but it was just very I felt like they were very interesting. The first one I found was um by the a publication of the American Public Health Association and they did a study on racial and ethnic inequalities in paid family and medical leave in the U.S., which I thought was interesting right off the bat when I read it, because I was like, of course, there's, I always hear about these inequalities, but I never know, like, exactly who it affects. Like, yeah, it can affect people of color, but, like, who among the people of color does it affect more? And they basically just examined these inequalities through um, surveys that they did between 2017 and 2018, um, and they asked different race and ethnicities about their paid leave access and in their job and basically they found that access to paid family and medical leave was significantly lower among asian black and hispanic workers they also observed that there was a large and significant inequality also depending on what job they have so Mm -hmm. a lot of in like um service industry jobs don't have a lot of good access as compared to like corporate jobs Mm -hmm. so yeah they basically had these findings and came to the conclusion that they need that there should be like a broad paid family and maternal leave mandates 
across Mm -hmm. like all types of jobs in the U.S. So they can basically narrow the racial and ethnicity gaps in paid leave. And I mean, I just, I think that's a great idea. Once you have a baby, I feel like that time is very crucial. And I think it both for the mom and the dad, I think it's very important to have that type of access given to them. And it shouldn't be hard to ask for it either. Yeah, so. I agree. The, the U.S. has is is notorious for having terrible, yeah, maternal and paternal leave. Like, did you do you have any friends who like recently had babies and maybe had like a short maternity leave? I have had actually two of my friends just had a baby in the last month. Um, they are able to take the twelve weeks that their work allows them it's eight weeks for a vaginal delivery and i believe it's 12 weeks for a c-section um and so they're taking that time but i know in in california it's a little different i came from washington state that's where my healthcare experience is Um, And in Washington state, the state actually gives you an additional 12 weeks of leave of protected. Oh, okay. Uh, It's not necessarily paid. That depends on your employer. Yeah. Um, But the state does give you an additional 12 weeks of leave. Um, And that's protected. So you can't lose your job if you take that additional time. Oh, that's good. Um, But I know it is still very much based on employer and how they decide to pay you. Um. And for the dads uh, who take leave as well, it's different. You know, it's typically not full pay or it's unpaid or. Yeah. And of uh, course, if it's unpaid, yeah. like they're going to be. Yeah. They're going to probably be anxious about that and probably not even going to want to take it because yep. they now have a baby that they need to pay bills for. Yes. So it's very difficult. The, the amount of paperwork it takes to um, to process, which is what I used to do. I used to process paperwork for um, maternity leave. It's a lot of signatures, a lot of hoops to jump through. um, And a lot of the time you can't even apply for it until after you've already delivered because they need to know the exact delivery date. So, you know, the mom is like a week, a week postpartum and trying to get paperwork signed. And uh, it's just a lot. It's a lot that they shouldn't have to worry about. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that the, all those steps went into just asking for that leave. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Well, yeah, I just felt like that article was interesting and definitely will spark a lot of conversations about that. But the second article I found was also just very straightforward and I felt like would be great with finals kind of around the corner, depending on if you're like in the 15-week courses um, or like us, the eight-week courses, which start today. <laughs> but anywho, this article is from Berkeley Student Wellbeing website. And it's basically just nine foods to boost your mood and reduce stress and anxiety. So I thought that'd be perfect for like test season and just as we get close to the holidays, you know. I feel like there's always stress and anxiety around that time. And they basically go into how you can incorporate stress reducing foods as a lifestyle in your diet because you know people will probably be like oh my god I need to eat these foods right now 
and they'll like eat it in one day. But this article is saying that you need to incorporate it in the long term, little by little, in order to actually see the effects of like a calmer state of mind. And the first food group that they talked about was fiber rich vegetables. So that includes like leafy greens like spinach. They say this because it was linked to reduce the risk of anxiety, depression and stress if you eat these regularly. So even if you incorporate it like once once a day. So I thought that was interesting. I love spinach. So I feel like you can incorporate spinach in a lot of things, even smoothies. <laughs> and then the second one is so easy. It's just bananas. They're rich in vitamin B6, which they said helps your body synthesize serotonin and dopamine, which of course, you know, that's the happy the happy neurotransmitter feeling. So definitely something you need during finals. The third food group that they talked about was fermented foods. So like kimchi and even like simple yogurts help. And they found a correlation between a higher frequency of fermented group or fermented food consumption with lower levels of reported social anxiety. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. That one surprised me because but like usually I didn't think that food like kimchi would do that, you know, mm-hmm. but I would think that, oh, it's because you're like so spiced out of your mind that you yeah, can't yeah, be, yeah. you can't be anxious, <laughs> but I love kimchi. So now that it's even better, yeah, now it gives awesome. you more of a reason to go to your favorite uh, Korean barbecue place. And then the next one is lean meats. So turkey, chicken, um, stuff like that. Or if you don't eat meat, you they suggested even chickpeas and soy would give the same effect. Um, and right here it says in the article that eating a diet high in these meats over four days resulted in a decreased anxiety and symptoms of depression. And then the next one is nuts and seeds, which of course help with like a happy um, or they provide like fiber to make your gut kind of like a healthier and easier to digest food. The next one is fatty fish. So like salmon and tuna, Mm -hmm. which have high levels of Mm omega-3s and also help with your mood disorders like anxiety and depression. The next one is chamomile chamomile tea. And of course, tea is always good when you're stressed. So it's definitely a good one to help, you know, if you're feeling stressed or anxious during during finals, you can definitely brew up some chamomile tea and it'll definitely help. The next one is garlic, like legit garlic, mm. which can be found in a lot of foods. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel like garlic is necessary when you're cooking because garlic. Think in cult- many cultures too, garlic is like a cure all. Garlic and onions. Yeah. Actually, I saw when the pandemic was big that people would literally just eat garlic like that. Yeah, in our house, we, my uncle and his family, who I lived with at the beginning of COVID, did this thing where if anyone was sick, they would put onions in, like just cut onions and gar or garlic in like a bowl and leave it in the room because it's supposed to. Oh, I heard that. Like too. clear out the toxins, or people like put raw onions or garlic um, at the bottom of their feet and like put socks on. Oh, um, I didn't to know like about draw that. out toxins. Yeah, I've never tried it, but it people who do it swear by it so there must yeah. be something I mean I know in my culture they use it in, they put it in like they boil it mm-hmm. and they put it in like either tea and like you can either drink it or if you just want to smell it like if you're um congested 
like it'll help with the onion too i heard the both onion and garlic honestly they're that girl when it comes to cooking (laughs) but yeah they actually found that after a 10-day diet of added garlic and this was with they tested this on um conduct like they conducted an animal survey with rats and that they found that when they had a 10-day diet of added garlic they showed less physical symptoms of depression and anxiety and lower levels of stress markers in their brain. Wow. So that was pretty interesting. It's cool. And then the last one is whole grain pastas, cereals, and breads. So basically like whole wheat, bread, or oats, or even quinoa, they'll lower your blood sugar levels because the mm-hmm. White breads and the simple carbs, they spike the blood sugar levels. So, mm-hmm. um, and those can really affect your mood swings and your stress responses. So, um, whole grain wheats can help lower those levels and cortisol levels as well. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So, now you know if you're feeling hungry and you want to help your mood, now you know which food to reach out for. And just a quick note, too, if anyone listening, does struggle with anxiety and depression like please do reach out to your doctor don't just go and eat a ton of bananas and oh yeah no and salmon this, and garlic this was, and, yeah uh, this was just uh some helpful tips from yeah. berkeley's student well-being but they we are not doctors yes. i who am reading this am not a doctor so yes. you can just if you're unsure and you really want to start a change in diet make sure that you consult with your doctor first before committing to anything like that agreed agreed but yeah thank you for this interesting conversation Eunice yeah thanks for having me on today yeah of course and I hope that these uh topics were interesting to you guys and I hope that it also sparks an interest in communicating with others about important topics in public health with your peers so that is all for today thank you so much for listening Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe if you liked today's report. To learn more about our podcast, news, and events, visit publichealthpodcasters.com. Again, I am Melissa, and this is Eunice, and this was the Public Health Report.